We've been preaching on the subject of the second coming. And our emphasis from the text has been the many faces of Christ at his return. And while uh, there are many references to the coming of the Lord, all, almost over 2,100, and as we have mentioned, uh, one out of every 30 verses in the New Testament tell us that Jesus is coming. And for every one time he spoke of his first coming, uh, there are references eight times to his second coming. And so, it seems to me that this is a great truth that he wanted to emphasize to our hearts. As he said to the disciples just prior to his crucifixion, let not your hearts be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. And he said, in my Father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you. And he said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. He said, I'm, I'm coming again. And I'm glad that he's coming, aren't you? But he wants us to be prepared for his coming. And the way he does so is he does not emphasize a time, a date, but he lets us know what he's and who he's going to be when he comes. We notice that he said, when I come, first of all, I'm going to come with the face of a thief. He said, I want you to, be, I want you to watch or have a guarded readiness. Now, we know he's no convict, but yet as he comes, he's coming for those who are ready and are watching for him. We notice also that he said, I'm coming, I'm coming with the face of a bridegroom. And he said, I want you to have a genuine readiness. I don't want you just to run around uh, with a lamp. I want there to be some oil in that lamp. I want to know that the Spirit of God is operating on the inside. And last night we noticed that Jesus said, I'm coming. He said, but I'm, I'm coming and I'll, I'll come with the face of a person. All of the people that you have come in contact with are going to be represented in Christ and how careful and cautious we ought to be as to how we treat one another because we're not just treating people, we are treating Christ with our words and with our actions. And we will realize that when, you, when we see him because he said, inasmuch as ye have done it unto these, ye have done it unto me. But tonight we want to move a step further, and I want us to see another one of the faces of Christ, and I want us to see his face, as we're going to notice in this text, as the face of an investor, the face of an investor, a businessman or an entrepreneur, one who has made an investment and demands that there be a profit out of that investment. Let's look at this, uh, this text here in uh, Matthew chapter number 25, verse number 14. The Bible said, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country 
who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. Unto the one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To every man according to his several ability and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. There's an investment. And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. They were multiplied. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. And after a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. That means to compare the books. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them Five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Then he which had received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid, and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast, that is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, Thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchanges, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury or interest. Take therefore the talent from him. Give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance." But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. I'm interested in the face of the Lord when he comes again. And here in our text it is evident that he is coming as an investor, as a businessman. And he demands that there be a generated readiness. I mean by that, there should be a profit, there should be an increase, 
there should be a multiplication of the talent that he has given to you and I. When we think about talents, of course, we think about our possessions, we think about our time, we think about our gifts, we think about our influences, we think about all of the things that God has blessed us to have. And it is in these things that he demands of us that we are to generate them. We're not to leave them idle, but we are to make sure that we have invested what God has invested in us so that there would be an eternal increase when he returns. The word invest means to, uh, to contribute time and energy or effort to an activity or a project or an undertaking in the expectation that there would be a benefit that would come out of it. Now here's the application of it. The grace of God that was given to you and to me was intended, intended to accumulate. When God plants an acorn, what's he want out of it? He wants an oak. When he plants a small amount of grace in our hearts, he expects us to grow in that grace. When he gives us faith, he expects us to add to that faith. There must be an increase in our lives. And when he comes, he's coming with the face of that investor. And he is coming to compare the books of your life and of the record that he has of your life and to see what you have done and what I have done with the benefits and the blessings and the investments that he has placed in our lives. Now, there are three things that I want to point out to you concerning this matter of the investment. And I want you to think about what God has done for you, what God has done in you. And I want us to look at this investment and ask ourselves a question, am, am I, am I, is God profiting by what he has done in my life? Is there a generated increase in what God has done in my life? Now, in the text that I want to look at here in Matthew chapter number 25, beginning with verse number 14, I, I want you to notice with me, first of all, what I call the master of the investment. Now, there is an investment that is taking place. He has one man that he is giving five talents. Another, he is giving two talents. And the last, he is giving one talent talent. So he has made an investment. But what we ought to understand is, is this, this, this investment didn't start with us. It was not something that we had that we give back to God or that we can please ourselves with or do whatever we want with. But we've got to understand that the investments of heaven begin in heaven. God is the master investor. And if you look here in our text, you can see how the emphasis is this investment belongs to him. Look in verse number 14. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants. 
Even the servants that he invests in belong to him. Thank God I'm glad I belong to him tonight, aren't you? And all that he invests in me is investing in one that belongs to him, his own servants. And also in the same verse he said, and delivered unto them his goods. So the servant belongs to him, the talents belong to him, and even if you'll look down in verse number 25, uh, the unfaithful servant even realized that when he said, I was afraid, talking about the talent, and went and hid thy talent in the earth. And lo, here thou hast, that is thine. And in verse 27, God makes reference that these talents belong to him. He said, Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Well, when you think about it, everything belongs to God, does it not? Whose air is that that you are breathing? Uh, Whose time is that that you are living on? Whose body does that belong to that, uh, that uh, you have? Uh, that mind, where did it come from? Uh, I don't care what you want to name. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. It all belongs to God because he's the one that made the investment in it. You see, what we've got to understand is, is that the Lord tonight is not here trying to start a business. He's not trying to purchase a business. He does not need somebody to finance his business. He's not competing with other businesses. And he doesn't need a partner in his business, and he's not interested in your business. He just wants everybody to know that it's his business, and it's all his business. He is the investor. He makes that investment in these whatever is included in these talents. And I've thought of two major things that includes, I think, all of the talents of God, all of his gifts, all of his investments. One is in creation. Is that not true? Think of God's creation. We are not evolutionists tonight. We believe God created everything. But did you realize that everything that we see tonight that God created, He created for mankind. It is an investment for man and in man. For instance, when we think about uh, the air or the oxygen that exists in this old world, why is that oxygen there? And by the way, that's why I'm not an evolutionist. It just don't make a lot of sense to me. Why is the oxygen there? The whole reason why there's oxygen in this world is because God gave you lungs. And they work together. That's not no, that's no accident. How in the world did there just happen to be oxygen and lungs at the same time? God made it that way. How come there's light in this world? I don't tell you why there's light in this world because you got eyes. You can see. In color, by the way. God could have just made it black and white, but he let you see in color. He, he, made, he made the light so you could see and I could see. How come there's plant life? 
I'll tell you why there's plant life. It's so you and I can have something to eat. Like we've eaten. There's no accident it's there. God made an investment in the creation of light, in the creation of air, in the creation of this earth, in the creation even uh, of the dirt and of the soil and the, the minerals that are in there. And everything that grows out of it all was an investment in man. God started this great investment in creation. And I'm glad he did, aren't you? Making an investment. What an investment that he made in creation for mankind, for you and for me. I was watching television here a while back and they had a little uh, panel of supposedly uh, super intelligent men who all believed and was the, 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 the discussion was uh, evolution and... and uh, one of the men thought he had it all figured out. He said, I'll just tell you what. He said, uh, one of the greatest proofs of evolution is the fact that you can take a plant and find the same essential uh, minerals and so on in that plant that you find in the human body. <coughs> Duh. So his, his conclusion was is that we evolved from the plant eventually. I mean, going back far enough. He had it all set, case closed, and the idiots around him never even questioned it. They all must have said, wow, that sounds great. Well, why don't you go back and read your Bible, dummy? Man came out of the same earth that plant life came out of, and animal life. Sure, we're all of the same substance. That's why we eat that stuff. It's got the same stuff in it. Well, I'm telling you, there's some real screwballs out there that thinks they're smart. Huh? Go to Kennedy Space Center and, and, let, and, and look at that little rock they got from the moon and brought back, and they've got that rock dated at so many, 22 billion, 700 million, 350,000, uh, th- 203 days. Well, that's not exact, but I'm going to tell you, it's about like that. Now, what my question is, how under God's heaven can you know what happened 27 million years ago and, and 300,000 and 200 days? Yeah. Stupid. Yeah. Right. All I need to know is, is God made it, and that satisfies me. He made the investment. Sound waves, think about it, sound waves. You know the sound waves in the, in the air constantly, all the time? Even when you don't hear it, there's some sound waves. But why are the sound waves out there? Because God gave you ears. And that's how we communicate. Isn't it amazing how the Lord put that all together? In creation, God made a huge, huge investment when he brought you into this world. Man being fearfully and wonderfully made. Think of all that you are mentally and physically and all that is involved in in who you are. And God gave you every bit of that. It was an investment in mankind, in creation. But then he went a step further and he made his investment in salvation. And can I say to you that God's investment was not cheap. 
Because when he gave his son on the cross of Calvary to save you and I, he put everything he had into humanity. When he shed his blood on that cross to redeem you and I, God gave it all. When he gave his son, he, he made an investment not only in creation that you might be born the first time, but in salvation that you could be born again. But the question is, if the God of the universe has put so much time and has put so much, has put his all in it and has given his all for you and I in this investment, what are you doing with his investment? What are we doing with his time? What are we doing with that fresh breath of air? What are we doing with that that redemptive plan of salvation. What are we doing with the grace that he's offered? What are we doing with the faith that he's given us? What are we doing with the investment? He's the master investor. My, hadn't he done a wonderful job in his investment. He built it. And then he turned around and bought it. You can't beat that, can you? <laughs> he that delivered up his own son. Think about it. How shall he not with him freely give us all things? He's the master of the investment. Now the second thing, and I see that all of this belongs to him. These, these, these talents were his and these servants were his and he makes this investment in, in, in mind that there might be an investment of the investment. There might be an increase. There might be a, 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 a producing. There might be a multiplication in our, in our lives. But the second thing I want to point out to you is I want you to notice not only the master of the investment, but I want you to notice the measurement of the investment. Now, again, this was not left up to the servants. It was none of their business as to how much went where. They were not given the privilege to say to the master of the investment, hey, give me so much and give him so much and give him so much and all. It was already in the mind of the investor how he was going to divide up his talents and his gifts and his possessions. You see, before you ever even got into this thing, God had already made it and put it together. Have you ever wondered why God made man last? Because if he'd have made him anywhere in between, first, second, third, man would have tried to tell him how to do the rest of it. And so the Lord didn't let him in until it was over. That's why Jesus cried out, it is finished at Calvary. He finished the plan of salvation totally before you ever got in. And so therefore, the master of the investment is the one who measures out his investments. He's the one that gives the five. He's the one that gives the two. And, and he's the one that gives the one. That's totally up to him because, as I said to you, it is his investment. Here's the thing that I rejoice in. It makes no difference. It's not the one and the two and the five. It's not the amount that counts. 
It's the faithfulness to the amount that counts. There's no big and no little with God. His business is not into making one bigger than the other and one outdo the other. God's not into that. He has his purposes when he hands out his gift because he has his plan in the investments of these gifts. Again, I say that is his business. But the blessedness of it is whether you've got one or whether you've got two or whether you've got five, you need to thank God that you are a partaker of what God is doing. I'm just glad I'm in the kingdom. I'm just glad I'm a part of the family. I'm just glad I've got, I've got his gifts and his talents placed on me in some measure and in some way. You'll notice here that really he goes to the bottom of the social barrel or the social order. Isn't it amazing when he goes to hand out his precious talents? to be deposited into the hands of those that would invest them, that he goes and gets servants to do so? Why doesn't he move up to nobility? Why doesn't he move up even to royalty? Why, why doesn't he go up the chain of the social ladder to get those that would, by the world's standards, seem more capable to invest the investment? Haven't you often heard the saying, someone would be talking about somebody in the community that had a lot of money or something like that and said, boy, just think, if they ever got right with God, what they could do for the Lord. Hogwash. <laughs> he ain't trying to get the rich because he thinks the rich can do something for him. I tell you, he can, he can do it all by himself. He don't need me, he needs you. But the blessedness of it is, is that he will come to us and he will call us and he will save us and, and, and more times than not, it's going to be from the, the low order socially. He goes and gets the servants. Think about it, when Jesus came into this world, he created a gospel with his birth, his life, his death, his burial, and the resurrection. Think of all that he put in to creating this gospel. And what did he do to this gospel with this gospel? He gave it to Simon Peter. And he gave it to John, and he gave it to those disciples. I mean, you think about it. It's all, almost, them boys is more like a Chinese fire drill. I mean, why would you call these 12, and why would you give them the greatest word that was ever to be given to be carried around the world? God chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. He went to measure out his talents and he called his humble servants, the lowly ones, the ones who could not brag, the ones who could not boast, the ones who could not say, look at who I was when God found me. I'm sure helping him out. No, you didn't have nothing. He gave it all to you. He scraped the bottom of the barrel when he got you. And he saved you by his grace. Put his faith in you. And the then began to send you forth. Yes, to invest the investment. Partakers. I'm just glad I'm a part, aren't you? Got no demands. I'm just sort of glad I'm in. Servants. 
But you know, throughout Scripture, we're called sinners. Save them old sinner boys. Sojourners and even strangers from the household of faith, God reaching outside of the boundaries and, and scraping up humanity and saving them by His grace and making a great investment in their lives. The partakers of this investment. Paul talked about it. He said, he talked about it in Ephesians 3, 6, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of the promise. He said in Colossians 1, 12, giving thanks unto the Father which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance. Peter talked about him when he said, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these we might be partakers of the divine nature. Hebrews 3, 1, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. <laughs> I'm glad I'm in, aren't you? I'm just happy to be a part. I'm just so glad that God has made an investment in me when he brought me into this old world. He measured out and he let me in. But then there is, uh, I guess, what we would call the particulars of this investment. We are the partakers, but there are the particulars. No one gets the same in our text. It is an indication of of God's measuring out in diversity. It shows the very variety of God. You see it even in creation when there are no two leaves that look alike. There are no two snowflakes that are ever alike. There are no two people that are ever alike. And when God measures out to us, He never measures out to any two people the same amount. He will measure out five here and two here and he'll measure out one there. And he has a particular amount for each person, for each specific person. The blessedness of it is about being in God's economy and being a part of God's investment is that we're all different when we come together. No two of us are are the same. God has done a work in your life that will be different than the work that He's done in my life as far as the callings and as far as the gifts and as far as the investments. It's all different, but that's what makes it a blessing. I don't want to ever... I, I, you know, I, I love the mountains. And one of the reasons why I love the mountains is you can stand there and never see two mountains that look alike if you see a thousand of them capped out through there. I love that, don't you? I love the diversity of God's children, the different flavors, the different colors, the different gifts that come out of each one that God has, has invested in. What a blessing that it is. I love it. We had here Monday morning a, a preaching service, and I told your pastor, I said, boy, I just, I tell you, if you, if you want what I want to do, I won't be lazy this morning. Let me sit and listen to those fellas preaching. I'm going to tell you, they got up three preachers, three as good as sermons you ever wanted to hear as God had placed an investment in them, and they were investing the investment, particularly that the Lord had 
given them and how blessed it was yes. to the congregation as we received the investment. A particular investments. Now, if we're not careful, we, we'll, we'll have some jealousy in our hearts. And uh, we, we'll begin to question God while he don't make us like somebody else. And we're even prone to put pressure on people to be alike. We, we got our likes and our dis. I'll just tell you, I, I like this type preacher. Well, I'll just say my favorite preacher is that. I don't like a loud, I, like a, I, I just like this kind of preacher. But we don't sing alike. We don't preach alike. We don't laugh alike. We don't serve alike. God has given to us, each one, different measures of different gifts of faith and grace and so on as he, as he has so, uh, chose to do so. Uh, Romans 12, 3, For I say to you through the grace of God given unto every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think but to think soberly according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. The Lord measuring out the gifts. And may I say to you, he does that in a loving way. Remember back when my two boys were real young. Stephen, my oldest son, had gotten old enough to where we thought that he could handle a knife. He'd always wanted a knife. So we said, well, when you get certain age and whatever, and he, he, we thought we could trust him with a knife and, and could and did. It proved out. And on his birthday, we took him to the store and we took him to that counter and all them knives were in there. And boy, he just took his time. And can I see this one? And can I see that one? And he looked over them. And then he finally purchased his knife. I was so proud that he could have his first knife. And, and so he had his knife and we had purchased the knife. And I turned around and looked and in the midst of it being his birthday, I just, I'd kind of forgotten about Paul. And I looked over there and boy, he just had the brightest look on his face. And he said, Dad, you know which knife I want? He'd already made up his mind which knife. But see, he's five years younger. And I knew if I give him that knife that he'd end up cutting his hand, cutting a finger, or stabbing himself. He, he wasn't old enough to be able to handle that knife. And, and it broke my heart. I had to say to him, I said, Son, hun, uh, you know, it's Stephen's birthday and he's old enough. But you're not, why, Dad? I, I, I need a knife too. You let him have a knife and I want a And boy, I'm going to tell you, I about cried with him. I want, I want to say, all right, here, take this butcher knife. You can have it. But I didn't want him to get hurt. <laughs> So uh, while one could have the gift, the other could not have the same gift. And so it is with God. He gives out and he measures out his gifts uh, according to his variety and his diversity. And he knows what he's doing with those gifts in our lives. But thank God that he's given us some gifts. I'm talking about the master of the investment. I'm talking about the management. I'm talking about the measurement of the investment, but last I want you to notice the management. This, this is the, uh, this is the emphasis that is given. He he has he has created these talents; they are his. He has called these servants; they are his, and he has invested in them. And we notice that he goes on a journey with a thought in mind that those in whom he has invested will also take that investment and they will 
they will produce out of that investment. And the scripture tells us, if you'll look back up in verse number 16, then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. He's doubled up on the talents. Verse 17 said, Likewise, he that had received the two, he also gained or multiplied, increased other two. So we see the investment has been invested. And can I say to you, any time that you invest the investment of heaven and of God that is in your heart, it will increase. It will produce. God will see to it. But we must understand that in this matter of managing God's investment in our lives, there will be a cost to it. I notice that cost in verse number 16 where the Bible said, and he went. I looked that little word went up there, and the word went means to remove or to depart. It actually has the idea of, of, this, man, of this man having an investment of his own. He, he's, got his, he's got his own here. His life, you might say. He is a servant, and, and that's all that he is, but he has his life. But when the Lord gave him, when the master put that investment in him, gave him those talents, he went. Which means he literally turned away from his own life and his own investment, and, uh, and he moved from that, he departed, and he went with the investment that the master had invested in him. In other words, it, had, it even has the idea of dying to one's own desires, one's own pleasures, one's own ambitions, one's own goals to live for somebody else's. He went which means it cost him time and it cost him energy and, and he, is, he is dying to self and he is living for the master's investment. Can I say to you that is what the Christian life is all about? It's him investing in you this great work of salvation and from that day forth it is you turning your back. Jesus talked about it even when he said forsaking your, your mothers and your fathers and your sisters and your brothers for the kingdom of heaven's sake not putting your hand to the plow and turning back but you have turned your back as the apostle Paul did on his Phariseeism and on his family and on his religion leaving it all behind as if he was dead to that and now he invests his whole life in the gospel of Christ. God saved you. He meant for there to be a turnabout in your life. And he meant for you to begin from that day forward to begin to invest his investment in the kingdom of heaven. He went. He went. There is a cost to that investment. Jesus said, take up the cross and follow me. That is the cost of it. Turning our backs on ourselves, on our investments. I wonder this tonight, how much time 
Are we investing in ourselves or are we investing in God's investment in our lives? Whether it is time in prayer or whether it is time in his word or whether it is time, as I said last night, to visit someone or time to speak to someone, planning time or whether it is taking our money and putting it into a, into a good cause, whatever that may be, it is investing the investment. God never wants his investment to stalemate and stagnate. It wants, he wants it to be active. And so he goes forth. There is an activity. There is a, there is a cost to investing the investment. And these two men found out about it as they, as they turned. But I've got more to say about this in a moment as I, as I close out. But they, 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 they have turned from their own goals and their own life. And they have headed out with the investment. But on the other hand, if you'll notice, the Bible said in verse number 18 that this other fellow, this last guy, the word went is used for him also, but it's a different word. It doesn't have the idea of leaving behind and separating. But it has the idea of detouring from what is important. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's talent. Instead of forsaking his own and dying to self and, and investing the investment, he takes the investment and he burrows in the ground and he hides it there. And then he goes about his own life doing his own, but he's still breathing God's air. He's still, he's still enjoying God's uh, fruit of, of the field and food and all of that other stuff. God has invested in him heavily, but he has dug and buried the investment and now he's out doing his own thing. You see, what is... A blessing to one person can be a burden to another person. That which can be a crown to one person can be a curse to another person. It is a blessing to me to be able to serve the Lord. But I have known some people that that would be the farthest thing from their mind. They would not want to serve the Lord. It is a burden to them. And so he takes it and he, he digs and he, and he hides it in the ground. It becomes actually the very blessing of God that is intended to multiply and to increase and to bless becomes a curse in this man's life. Oh, isn't it sad that this book is a curse in some people's lives? <clears throat> The grace of God becomes a curse in some people's life. Faith becomes a curse because they don't want that. They do not want to be involved in that. They don't want it to be a part of it. They, they have turned from that. He, they, they have went from that. It becomes a curse to them. Now, notice what happens to this fellow. We're talking about this matter of the cost and then the curse. Uh, he, he takes and he digs and, and he buries it. 
But then the master who has made the investment comes and he wants to compare the books. That's what that word reckoneth means. He is comparing the books. He compared the books on the first fellow with five, the next fellow with two, and now he has come down to the one who has one talent. And in verse number 24 is where we pick up with this, this character. Talking about this matter of managing the investment. Then we, he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not drawn. And I was afraid and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast, that is thine. You know, uh, as I read that man's, I call it an excuse. He has abandoned, he has deserted, he has left the very investment and interests of God in his life. He has done despite, you might say, to the Spirit of grace. And yet, and yet when the master investor comes back, he thinks maybe he can just reach back and pull out a few excuses and he's going to get by with that. As I was reading that, I thought about all the years I pastored, 22 and a half years. And, and, and have you ever been to the store, Books a Million? They have all these little red uh, books, uh, yellow books in there with, with the black uh, captions, and it's, and it's called, uh, like it'll say, auto mechanics for dummies, computers for dummies, uh, you know, house cleaning for dummies, or whatever. I mean, it covers just a gamut of things for dummies. <laughs> that's, that's, what, that's the aisle I always go to. <laughs> but there's one book I'm waiting on them to put in there that I think is of absolute necessity. And they ought to have a book in there. Some, I may write it myself and put it in there. Excuses for dummies. Because in pastoring the church for 22 and a half years, I have heard such off-the-wall excuses for why people just do not want to serve the Lord, do not want to come to church, do not want to do whatever. But the thing that gets me is it insults my integrity. I'm thinking, surely they don't think I'm that dumb. Used to have a lady when I first started pastoring this church, and on Sunday morning, I can tell you, almost every Sunday she'd call, and she'd say, well, you know, one of the grand youngs is sick, and we, we can't make it. Well, the only problem was the grand youngin lived 10 miles away. And because he had the sniffles, the whole generation stood out. I mean, stayed home. Grandma, grandpa, great-grandma, great-grandpa, and all the rest, all the brothers, nobody come to church. <laughs> Give him an aspirin, do something. But don't call me and talk to me early on Sunday morning on why you ain't coming to church because he's sick. And he don't even live at your house. Well, we could write a book. And of course, if you've raised youngins, you know you've been insulted. <laughs> we did it when we were youngins, giving these excuses. Of a song, excuses, excuses. We hear them every day. Don't we? And here this man has the audacity to look at the master and start with these. Oh, you can hear the whiny voice. That's, you can tell him when it's a, You know an excuse when it's a lie. It's, 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 uh, it, 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 they'll start whining. 
Uh, he said, uh, he said, I knew that thou art a hard man. And you know, reaping where you, and I just, you know, I was sort of afraid. And I went out, and I said, that don't even make sense. Because if he, and, and then he and the master says to him, well, if you knew I was like that, why did you go, if you thought I was that and I demanded so much, why did you, that don't make sense. That excuse just don't add up. <laughs> you know, Jesus is not like the average bat. He wasn't like me. I've got to be honest with you. When I, when I pastored, they paid me to lie. You, know, you pay your pastor to lie. You don't want him to tell the truth every time, do you? Do you? I mean, on a Sunday morning when the fellow came in, you know, and he said, or whenever he said, Preacher, I would have been here, but man, I got a hangnail right there. I mean, that thing was a killing me. And you don't want the pastor to run everybody off. Say, no, what he'll do is he'll smile and say, Brother, I'll be praying for you. Is it okay? I hope it's better. And then in the back of your mind, what you're thinking is, Well, I wish I had a ball peen hammer. I'd fix that thumb. <laughs> insulting my integrity <laughs> but we can't do that we wouldn't have no church members we don't got to swallow and smile real good like, yeah, well I know I understand I know. it's good it's good but Jesus ain't like that see and the thing about it is he, he, he can see through we don't ever know I mean maybe but he can see through all of that and he looked at that fellow. Did you notice what he said to him? He said, you mean to tell me you're going to give that rotten poor excuse? And then he turned and did something that you wouldn't expect it. He turned and he said, take it away from him. Take from him that hath not and give to him that hath. <laughs> Is that what he said? Huh? Now, we'd have been sentimental. We said, well, you know, we understand. You got, you know, psychologists said you, that was because of the way your daddy raised you is the reason why you did that. And, and so what we're going to do, we're just going to double up and help you out a little bit. No, 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 no. He said, take away from him what he's got and give it to him yes. that hath. Yeah. Huh? See, the truth of the matter is, if God has made an investment in you, you better be investing that investment because when he comes back, he's going to be upset over that matter. When he compares the books and finds out that you've been fiddling around with your own life and you hadn't invested the investment. And here, he takes from him that hath, the Bible said, and, and, and uh, hath not and gives to him that Half. Isn't that amazing? Somebody said you either use it or lose it. And how true that is. Have you ever heard anybody pray this prayer? And I'm meddling right now. I'm fixing the clothes, believe me. I'm meddling. Lord, now I'm thinking in the context. Now I'm, I'm thinking in the context of this text here. Lord, I pray for those that have to give and those that have not. 
But I'm just going to be honest with you. I ain't going to lie tonight. If you've been in the kingdom any length of time at all, and I'm not just talking about money, and you don't have anything to give back to God and to give to his kingdom and his service, you've been doing something wrong. You've not been making the investment. That's why you're broke on God. Lord, I pray for them that have to get... I've never... I, no, no, don't misunderstand me now. I know I know there can come some hard times, and brother, there may be some hard times that are coming our way in the future. That's why I say I'm not just talking about money. But I'm here to tell you I have yet, I have yet to pastor a family who has been faithful to the house of God and faithful to God and faithful to give and faithful to tithe that didn't have to give. And I ain't going to pray for that lazy, no-good outfit that's a blowing their money on themselves and on the world and ain't doing nothing for God and getting sentimental about it and say, Lord, I pray for them that have and them that have not to give. But isn't that the truth of the matter? Truth, man. Truth. Yes, sir. I'll just stay preacher. I can't afford to tithe. I, I just can't afford to give me. What's wrong with you? What have you done? Taken and hid and dug and burrowed the Lord's talent? You know what? I got to where when I pastored when we had revival. You know what I, strangely enough, got, I told folks, I said, we're going to have revival this week and let me encourage you to stay home if you want to and, and you know, watch your ball games or whatever because if that's where you want to be, we don't want you messing up the service. Yep. You ain't going to be wanting to worship when you come in here. Because I found out, instead of moaning and groaning over who ain't there, that what God was going to do and how many times did I have people that I pastored that would share with me burdens that I would never tell anybody else but yet I knew, I knew the man of God would get up and preach and I would say to myself, oh Lord, you're going to help that family. Here's the answer to what they need and I looked out over the congregation they was a fishing hunting somewhere yep. Yep. and they didn't hear the very word that God had meant for them. But I ceased to get upset about that because I looked at some families there yeah. that really wanted to serve God and the Lord doubled up Amen. on them. Thank the Lord. Yes. And I said, stay home if you want to because God will just give me your part. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's good for you. Huh? Amen. Take it! Get it! Take it from him! He's hit it! You don't deserve it! Give it to that fellow over there that's interested in investing the investment. You see, because when I'm talking about this managing of the investment, I wanted to close in a positive note. <laughs> it's not only the cost and the curse, but there's the consequence. Did you notice the consequence? And I want to, I say, move up to the, in in the, the positive note of it. Did you notice what he said to those that had, had the five talent and the two talent that invested it? In verse 21, The Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. He said the same thing in verse 23. The one had two talents. 
he would have said the same thing to the one that had one. His Lord said to him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter into the door of the Lord. You see, children, you can never go wrong taking God's investment serious and letting him be the Lord of your life and the controller of all that you have and all that you are and investing his investment in your life because, honey, you can't ever outdo God. <laughs> Try him and find out. <laughs> you can't bankrupt God. Try him and find out. He said in eternity, he said, I'll make you rule over many things and you can enter in to the joys of the Lord. But here's what I want you to see. There's a consequence in eternity when he comes back as to what you've done with his time he gave you, his talents he gave you, his possessions he gave you, his ability he gave you, his life that he gave you, all that he has invested. There, there is a consequence, thank God, in eternity. But I got good news for you children, and you already know this. God not only pays off in eternity, but he pays off in time. You will never serve God and invest in his kingdom but what he won't in turn invest in your life in this world. What did he say to Simon Peter? Simon said, Lord, we've given up houses and land, mother and father. What are you going to do for him? He said, Simon, no man has ever given up houses and lands and mothers and fathers and sisters and children but what I will not give unto them fourfold in this world and in the world to come. God always pays off. The emphasis here is things. And I believe that in these servants' lives, and you know it in your life, that forsook their own life for the investment. I believe that while they were investing the investment, God was continually investing in them and blessing them. Was he not? I had a fellow tell me that the Lord had led him to do a certain thing and he did it and he said, he said, Preacher God almost immediately blessed me back. And he said, I was on my way home and I stopped by my mom's house and said she's a real spiritual woman and I wanted to share it with her. And I went in there and told her and she was a shouter and praised God and said, I told her, I said, Mom, Mom, said, I just want to tell you what God did for me. And he said, I was just so excited. I told her and said she was just sweeping the floor and she barely looked up and sweeping the floor. Said, I wasn't expecting that response. Said, it sort of upset me and said, hurt me. Said, I, I left the house. I went home. Said, I couldn't even hardly sleep that night the way Mama acted about what God had done for me. And said, I called her the next day on the phone. Said, Mama, I want to talk to you about what happened the other day. Said, I come by and I tell you what God done for me. And said, you just acted like a, you just kept on a, Oh, she said, son, you misunderstood me. He said, uh, I, I, you know, that's just what God did for you is just one of those things. He said, one of those things? What do you mean, one of those things? She said, well, son, the Bible said, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, and all these things shall be added unto you. He said, that's just one of them things. <laughs> <laughs> You'll never be able to outserve God. You'll never be able to outdo God. You'll never be able to out 
God will bless you with the joy of the service of the Lord. And I'm looking at some people that can say amen to that. But I'm glad that there's joy in the investment of the Lord. Investing the investment. He said, I'm coming back and I was just warning what you've been doing with what I gave you. I've got the books here. I see, I noticed I gave you this. I gave you that. I gave you a pretty good job and and I let you live a certain amount of years and I and I notice I give you that. And I was just wondering what you've done with that. Let's see. I just want to see what you've done with that. Investing the investment of your life. Because when he comes, he said, I'll be that banker. I'll be that entrepreneur. I'll be the businessman. I'll be the investor. And I want to know what you've done with what I give.